You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction, sorcerer of death construction. In the fields of bodies burning. Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is coming to you from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. That's the Community Radio Federation. This will be the last week I'll be in the studio. Uh, for the next six weeks, I'll be broadcasting external to the studio for the following six weeks. We will attempt to have a live program because I prefer to have a live program because it uh, gives me an up-to-date uh, view on what's happening in the world today, a real-life view, a real-time view. So... Uh, Maybe next week and the next few weeks after that, there may be some uh, technical issues, so bear with us. The program will continue to be podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. My name's Joseph Toscana. I'm hosting today's Anarchist World this week via the Community Radio Network across Australia, north to south, east to west, up and down and around. The program is also streaming live on 3CR. Dot org dot au. And don't forget, it is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. COVID-19 or no COVID-19, we will continue to do our best to broadcast to our loyal listeners across the country. I'd also like to thank all those listeners who contributed to the June 3CR appeal to keep Radical Radio Community 3CR on air for another year. Uh, look, it's uh, very heartening to see so many people donating so much money to keep programs like the Anarchist World this week on air. Now, if you're wondering what anarchy is all about, no, it's not about trying to raise money to keep a local radical community station on air. Anarchism is about creating society without rulers. What gives rulers the ability to control the lives of billions of people? Very simple, inequalities in power and wealth. So the anarchist struggle is the struggle to devolve power, to share power, and share wealth, a simple concept. And in an era of increasing population growth, where we have over 7 billion people, limited resources on planet Earth, uh, increasing CO2 emissions, it's uh, more and more important that we turn to cooperation, not competition, uh, in order to resolve the issues that face us as individuals, communities, and the planet. That's right. Big call, big call. Now, look, I like, I like to spend the first bit of the program or the first 15 minutes or so, maybe less, talking about COVID-19 because it has been a spike in Victoria and obviously we're all disappointed uh, regarding the spike and although the Premier of Victoria likes to uh, blame individuals for what's happening, 
I think there's uh, obviously I spoke last week about the saving, you know, spending a, spending a penny to save a pound uh, philosophy uh, behind the quarantining of overseas visitors and the fact that the COVID nineteen virus broke out. But that's the past. Uh, this is where I agree with Mr Andrews. It is the past, and what we've got to do is address the issues that we are faced with, especially the city of Melbourne, which uh, and the greater region of Melbourne, which has, you know, almost over five million people. And I think uh, people need to understand why we are entering an extremely dangerous phase of the COVID nineteen pandemic in Victoria and especially metropolitan Melbourne. And the regions around Melbourne, the Hume Shire and the Mornington Peninsula Shire. And it's very simple. Now, let's go back to basics, what COVID-19 is. It's a coronavirus, basically. It is part, part of the family of the coronavirus. We now know a lot more about COVID-19. We know it's highly infectious. We know that about a third of people uh, who are contract the virus actually have minimal symptoms and are able to pass on the uh, virus relatively quickly. We know it's uh, it's uh, passed on by a droplet infection as well as direct uh, contact. So why is it important? I mean, as far as viruses are concerned, it's not, hasn't got a high mortality rate. The mortality rate, depending on where you live, if you live in the United States and you contract coronavirus, the mortality rate seems to be around 4.3%. If you live in Australia and you contact the Coronavirus, the mortality rate is about 1%. So why are we concerned? Why is the economy closed down? Why is there social distancing? Why is there all, all, this, uh, all this fuss about a virus which creates uh, 1% mortality? Well, I'll tell you why. It's very simple. If we had 50,000 people in metropolitan Melbourne... Con, uh, contract COVID-19 and if we are able to keep the mortality rate to down to 1%, that's right, 1%, you would have 500 people die in a very short period of time and that number would overwhelm uh, most of the intensive care facilities in the uh, city of Melbourne. If you had 500,000 people who contracted the coronavirus in the city of Melbourne, a city of the population of uh, f- around 5 million, that's 10% of the population, so let's say 500,000. Now, 1% of 500,000 is 5,000. So you would have 5,000 deaths within a short period of time, within a few weeks, which obviously would more than overwhelm uh, the intensive care uh, capacity of hospitals. And as the intensive care capacity is overwhelmed and the ventilators uh, run short, the mortality rate increases, as we've seen in the United States and other parts of the world. Now, why is it such an issue? I mean, we have viruses everywhere. We have an influenza epidemic every year. Well, it's very simple. There is some resistance to many of the influenza viruses in the community because we've had influenza as part of the human family. It is viruses and bacteria and fungi are all part of the human family. We've had them for uh, thousands of years. 
But there is some broad-based resistance in the community and there's also vaccination which uh, improves that resistance. So the issue isn't the fact that the mortality rate in a country as sophisticated as Australia as far as its medical services are concerned. The issue isn't uh, the fact that... uh, you know, that uh, it's a 1% mortality. The issue is there is no broad-based resistance to the virus in the community because it is a new virus which has uh, crossed from the animal to the human population. So there is no resistance. To make matters worse, there is no vaccine and there is no known treatment apart from ventilation, ventilatory support during the most uh, critical phase of the infection. Now, we do know that the infection has a greater capacity to affect the elderly and people with comorbidities, which is a fancy name for people with, uh, with a whole variety of illnesses. And one thing about Western medicine and 21st century medicine is there are many people who are alive today because of medications and health care and sewerage and public health that wouldn't have been alive 100 years ago. And these people have a uh, compromised immune system because of the multitude of uh, medical issues they face and they're much more highly at risk. Now, we also know now that it is can spread rapidly in confined spaces. And that's why uh, the issues with the Housing Commission, uh, the public housing um, blocks in Flemington and Kensington and the rest of uh, the public housing blocks becomes an issue. Because when you've got confined spaces, you've got uh, little hand sanitizer, uh, you've got a population that's basically been forgotten about over the last 40 years as uh, government after government has uh, pursued a a, a private housing agenda and has uh, defunded public housing, you begin to understand there's an issue. You begin to understand there's an issue. So that's the major issue. The major issue is there is no treatment, no vaccine, no resistance, general resistance in the community. Therefore... If the whole of Australia, there was a 1% mortality rate, say if everybody in Australia, say 25 million people, contracted the virus, a 1% mortality rate would mean that that would mean 250,000 people would die in a short period of time, which is about twice the amount of people that die in a year in this country. So that's why these major restrictions have now been imposed on the Melbourne population, the metropolitan Melbourne population. Now, what makes this much more dangerous than the first phase of infections is a significant proportion of the first phase of infections were people who travelled overseas and had come back to this country and they were able to be isolated. The difference today is that the the significant number of people who are contracting the virus in Victoria is through what's called community transmission, which means it's person to person to person to person. For example, one school in the northwestern suburbs of Melbourne already has 90 students who have contracted the virus. Now, it may be that none of these 90 students are going to get very sick because they're relatively young 
they've got a good immune system, but they belong to families and communities where there are elderly people and people with multiple medical issues. And that's where the infections tends to explode. So if there are no vaccines, no treatment, no herd immunity, well, the only thing available is social isolation. The only thing available is to actually isolate people and communities that have the infection. It's very hard. It's not easy. It's going to be a particularly difficult time. Uh, But if the spread continues, the death rate will escalate. And uh, when you look at the United States death rate or the death rate in Brazil, where social isolation has not been a feature of government policy, you can understand that uh, we are in a difficult situation. So I just wanted to explain the situation to people. Now, obviously, mistakes are going to be made. People are going to make mistakes. Governments are going to make mistakes. And, uh, and we're seeing mistakes happening all the time. We're seeing uh, the way this has been handled has been exceptionally heavy-handed, uh, where Victoria Police has basically become a military, paramilitary force. But I'll talk about that later on. So instead of uh, pulling the community together, what we have seen is the implementation of uh, processes which have actually divided the community. And we've seen people within our community, uh, people in the Australian community, who have basically pointed the finger at individuals and, and specific communities and said, it's all your problem. Well, it's not. It's everybody's problem. The great thing about COVID-19 is it doesn't discriminate. It doesn't discriminate. It does have an in- uh, a more excessive impact on closed communities and communities where people are living cheek by jail and where poverty is an issue, but it doesn't discriminate. It doesn't care whether you're young or old, Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander or an immigrant. It doesn't care what language you speak. It doesn't care what God you pray to. It doesn't care. It doesn't care if you're a president or not. Look at what's happening to the president of Brazil. And the list goes on and on. It does not discriminate. It is happy to expand its empire if you give it the opportunity to expand its empire. So this is not a war. This is a test of us as a community. It's a test of us as part and parcel of the country and as part and parcel of the human family across the world. This is a test, and during tests like this, we see the very worst, the very best of humanity. But there is one issue which concerns me and something that I've spoken about for decades on the anarchist world this week, and this is the scourge of outsourcing. Now, when we saw the police flock to the towers, giving the residents no notice... We were told by the state government that all their needs would be met and it took days to even conduct the necessary testing 
and it took days to provide the necessary food and medical support. And even now, there are many issues that have not been resolved. And the issue is the issue of outsourcing. For far too long, governments have relied on outside private organisations to provide services which governments should provide. We had the ridiculous situation of firefighters having to distribute food in these areas because there's no other organisation that can actually do it. There is nothing. Governments are so lean that they do not have the resources to actually address natural disasters. And the pandemic is a natural disaster. They do not have the resources at their fingertips. And although government representatives can make all the assurances in the world, the fact is they don't have the bodies, the hands, the feet, the ears, the eyes to provide those services. Because for the last four decades during the privatisation, deregulation, corporatisation period, what we have done is we have dismantled the laws which protect people. We have dismantled the very institutions which provide services to people, the very institutions that our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents fought for over so many decades. We have seen the dismantling of this and we have seen private organisations and charitable organisations take over the responsibilities that are essentially government responsibilities because we don't pay taxes to private organisations. We pay taxes to the government in various forms, whether it's stamp duty, whether it's uh, you know taxes you pay the federal government, whether it's excise duties, and the list goes on and on. So when you have a private company doing that work, you have a number of major issues. The first thing is that private company needs to make a profit. Therefore, for every dollar of taxpayers' money which goes to a private company to provide a service, what we see is that 40 cents in every dollar goes towards administration and profit. So off the top, 40 cents of every dollar is lost before a service is introduced. Secondly, most private corporations, I mean, essential mantra is to increase profits for their major shareholders irrespective of the human, social, environmental or national costs. You know that, I know that. And when you see large security firms fail so abysmally in terms of uh, maintaining quarantine standards in hotels which had been earmarked for return travellers, which is the source of the current pandemic uh, spike in Melbourne, you begin to worry. For example, the same company which provided the service to the hotels was also providing security services to the tower blocks which have been locked down. Now, if any of you have been in these 
tower blocks, and I have because I've got friends in these blocks and I've had patients in these blocks. Security guards are down the bottom as you enter. The first people you meet are security guards. And if these security guards were a source of the infection, it's quite likely that the expansion of the infection in the tower blocks was not due to people not doing the right thing, as the Premier keeps, the Premier Victoria keeps telling us, but due to the fact of the failure of the private sector to provide services to the community which had been outsourced to them. And if there is one thing that highlights how ridiculous this outsourcing epidemic has been, and it is an epidemic because everything is outsourced today at the federal, state and local government level, it's the inability of government at the three levels to actually provide the support needed to deal with the situation. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Oscar. I'm hosting today's program. Now, a few more interesting things about COVID-19. Look, I'm sick and tired of actually speaking about COVID-19, but I think uh, a great way to be able to contain uh, the problem is to understand the problem. Now, over the years, over the last few years, I have been saying on this program, and those of you who want to check, check the programs of podcast, I've been saying over and over again that the greatest threat we face with climate change and the climate emergency is not the direct threat of increased CO2 emissions, increasing temperatures. This is a slow process. But the greatest threat we face is the rise of dormant viruses in the community which begin to flourish as the climate changes. That is our greatest threat because although COVID-19 is a threat, the mortality rate ranges between 1% and 5% depending on what part of the world you live in. And what would happen if we had an explosion of SARS again, which had a mortality rate of up to, um, I think it was 10%. A Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, which was another coronavirus in 2008, which had a mortality rate of 30%. We'd be going to, we'd be going to, we'd be going to plague proportions as far as deaths are concerned. Now, I was interested to see that some Oxford research has just been published, which highlights the fact that we are all part of the same planet. Now planet Earth is a particularly fragile little 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 object. It's the middle of nowhere in the solar system, at a corner of a huge galaxy which is part of, you know, multiple galaxies. I mean planet Earth is home to over seven billion people and billions of animals and birds and vir- and trillions of viruses and insects and bacteria and fungi. We are all part of the same system. And if something changes in one area, it has an impact on the other area. I mean, that's what climate emergency, climate change is all about. Small changes can have major consequences. 
some of these major consequences may take decades to build to a boiling point. Others may build quickly. And this Oxford University research was quite interesting because what it looked at is sewerage analysis and it found coronavirus, COVID-19 in sewerage in Spain long before the explosion occurred in Wuhan province in China. This is not to let the Chinese authorities off the hook for trying to hide the pandemic when it started. But what it highlights is that many viruses lie dormant in our world. SARS came and went. It didn't go because we had a vaccine or a treatment. It just seemed to disappear, not because of social distancing. It just disappeared. And obviously, what we need to look at is the ecology. That's right. The ecology of a virus. Why is it transmitted from animals to humans? Why can it lie dormant for so many years, if not decades, and then flourish? And obviously, like everything else, things flourish when the right environmental and ecological conditions occur. It's a little bit like human beings. We flourish. We flourish while everything else dies around us. We flourish. It's the same with viruses and bacteria and fungi. They can flourish if the conditions change. And what got people thinking in this direction and uh, following this up uh, in a scientific way was the fact that we're seeing clusters of coronavirus occur in meat packing uh, factories across the country and across the world. And people have wondered why there's a spike in these particular environments and obviously it's got something to do with the temperature in that particular environment. And maybe as temperature have changed, the ecology for the virus has changed and the virus has been able to replicate at a much faster rate. So when we look at situations like this, we need to look at the totality of the situation. It's not just a matter of stopping droplets or washing our hands. It's really a matter of looking at the ecology of the virus, what has changed, what has caused this particular explosion at this particular point in human history. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is produced from the is, uh, produced from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. The program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. You can leave messages on 0439 395 489. You can write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com or info at pipsy.net. Facebook pages you may like to visit. You can visit uh, Joseph Toscano or Toscano for the Public or Defend and Extend Public Housing. And the list goes on and on.
or public housing, everybody's business. You can go to the YouTube channel, the public interest before corporate interest, public interest before corporate interest. I attempt to make a YouTube presentation every week about an an important topic. As I said before, we are entering a six-week lockdown in the city of Melbourne and large and significant proportions of uh, Victoria. Uh, This program has been coming from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne over the last three to four weeks when the lockdown ceased. We will be in lockdown from next week and the next six programs will be broadcast outside the studio. Now, obviously, there may be some technical difficulties. Uh, I want you to uh, have patience, but the program will continue to be a podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. All right, let's move on. Not everything is COVID-19, obviously. Life goes on. Now, you really have to wonder sometime how irrational the world's share markets and stock markets are. Now, we're told we live in a rational society. That's right, rational. And that we should leave the economy to the private sector. It's all about private investment for private profit. Now, that's a capitalism. And we're told we should take our directions from the world's stock markets. And although your eyes may glaze over, if you've got any superannuation funds tucked away somewhere, over 50% will be invested in the world's stock markets. And your future is basically tied to a totally irrational economic system. Well, the number of COVID-19 deaths and infections continue to spiral while businesses continue to close down, while more and more people are facing, especially in the business sector, small business sector, financial disaster. We see the world stock markets climb and climb and climb. We've got to the situation they're only about 15% below the level they were before the COVID-19 outbreak in February this year. And whether it's in Hong Kong or Beijing or Melbourne or London or Paris, and the list goes on and on, it's soaring. We see huge jumps that have nothing to do with reality because that's what it is. It is basically... A casino. You punt on things, you know, you punt on things. Now, I couldn't care less if they used their money to punt on things and lost their money, but I am hugely concerned about the fact that our superannuation system, which is the future retirement funds of Australian workers, is tied into the world stock markets. It's all very well when they go up and up. But the problem is if they drop, and they do drop, and they will drop, because the current irrational rise in the markets has nothing to do with profitability of companies and the reality faced by us as a community, it will have a profound impact on your ability to retire because what we've done in this country through superannuation is we've privatised old age. We have made old age not a period of rest and retirement, 
but we have made old age for many elderly people a nightmare. Could you imagine having your future tied up to an irrational economic system that in one day can wipe out the savings of a lifetime? Could you imagine being elderly and not having any income apart from the income you derive from your superannuation investments? Could you imagine the insecurity that is occurring among more and more people as they approach retirement? Because for far too long we have seen privatisation become the mantra of existence in Australia. Privatisation of essential services. Privatisation of public health resources. Privatisation of old age through the superannuation system. Privatisation of the social security system. Privatisation of the ability to uh, find work through Centrelink. And the list goes on and on. As governments wash their hands of their responsibility to the communities they serve. We have seen a major shift in the role of government. And I'd just like to do a little bit of a historical lesson because I think most of us have forgotten why we're in the position we find ourselves in today, why we have a social security system, why we have a pharmaceutical benefits scheme, why we had, and the key had, a public housing sector why we had essential services like electricity, gas in public ownership. During the 19th century, the role of government was very simple. It was to maintain control for those people who own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. And it's no accident that when the Paris Commune rose up in 1871, that over 50,000 people were executed at the end of the... Parisians were executed by their own government. No accident. And it's no accident that during the beginning of the 20th century, during the age of revolution, when millions died, millions died, not fighting wars for the glory of God, king and country but fighting wars to improve their situation and improve their ability to make decisions in the lands in which they lived. And it's no accident that during this period we saw the rise of a public housing sector after the Second World War when returned service men and women came back to this country and were living in tents on the MCG and the Botanic botanical gardens in other parts, you know, in tents in other parts of Australia, demanding they have access to housing. I mean, their friends had died in this so-called war, you know, to, against fascism, and then they come home, they're treated as garbage. And it's no accident that after the Second World War, after decades of struggle, we had the beginning and the expansion of a social security system, a social security net. It's no accident that we saw the introduction of Medicare, a universal health insurance system, in 1973, it could have been 74. It's no accident that we saw the introduction of a pharmaceutical benefits scheme. 
and the list goes on and on. These things didn't occur because governments gave them to us. These things occurred because we as a people were willing to struggle to ensure the needs of ordinary people were met. And then over the next four decades, during the privatisation, deregulation, corporatisation, globalisation revolution that has swept this country, we have seen all these advances stripped away. And what we're seeing today is the re-emergence of the state as the very instrument that maintains the status quo. And it's interesting to see us raise our hands in horror at what the Chinese Communist Party has done in Hong Kong with its new security laws. But we don't raise our hands in horror when whole communities are locked down with no notice and no services are provided to them. We don't raise our hands in horror when we see the very things which have made us the envy of the world being stripped away by governments trying to fill a fiscal black hole, you know, for a year or two, selling the family silver to pay a bill. We don't raise our hands in horror when we saw the increasing number of homeless people in this country. We didn't raise our hands in horror when we saw the public housing sector, especially in Victoria, being destroyed by so-called Labor governments who wanted to privatise the public housing sector and wash their hands of that responsibility to people who could not ever in a lifetime afford to raise a deposit, let alone purchase a home in an over-inflated real estate market which had been open to the world. And the list goes on and on. So we didn't raise our hands in horror. Now, for the last four years, I've been trying, and the key word is trying, to raise people's interest. Now, we do not have a mass movement in this country. We don't have enough people who think there is a major crisis, although things are changing slowly, but they're changing. And they will change rapidly at the end of September as government support is removed from millions of strands through JobKeeper and a revised JobSeeker. As we see businesses go to the wall, especially small businesses who have been doubly hit now in Victoria, as we see people lose their life savings, as we see jobs disappear... And the only solution a government currently can offer is more of the same, more privatisation, more globalisation, more deregulation, more corporatisation. And if you don't believe me, just look at the rhetoric that's been coming from the Morrison-led government and the Albanese-led opposition over the last few years or the last year. Look at the rhetoric we now have a viable debate in inverted commas about increasing the goods and services tax in order to claw back some of the losses. And who suffers from an increase in goods and services tax? It's not the businesses that can reclaim the GST as part of their expense uh, profile. It's not rich people 
who can afford and shrug off a GST, but it's all those people on basic incomes, social security benefits, who pay a significant amount of GST every time they buy some type of service. And the list goes on and on. So there are lessons, and the lesson is it will be business as usual. And in a period where you can't even protest, I mean, four protesters were fined yesterday outside the blocks in uh, Flemington and Kensington, you know, where governments use a militarised police force in order to maintain order and to keep people under control, we need to look at alternatives. And I've said before, we've just had a by-election in Monaro. Now, if public interest before corporate interest had been a registered political party federally, we could have actually put a candidate up in Ed Monaro to raise these issues. In a period when you don't have a mass movement, in a period where extra-parliamentary activity has been criminalised, it's time that we look at other alternatives. And I'm imploring you to think about joining public interests before corporate interests. We have about 430, 440 members on the electoral roll. We're currently in the process of contacting all our members, those on the electoral roll and those not on the electoral roll. We are very keen to get 550 members within the next few months, which is not many, another, about another 120 on the federal electoral roll, so we can apply for registration as a federal political party. When you see the hate spew from the mouths of divided nation, where they blame the victims for the very situation they find themselves in, when we see the same language coming out of the mouths of the major political parties, the Liberal National Party and the ALP, who's still married to the deregulation, privatisation, globalisation, deregulation agenda which has become so important in this country. When we see no action taken against the climate emergency, for example... The four major banks in this country, the Commonwealth Bank, the ANZ, Westpac and National, have been beating the breasts about supporting the Paris Accord. But since 2016, I was blown away by these figures, they've actually lent over $36 billion, that's billion with a B, to the fossil fuel industry to expand their projects in this country. That's right. On the one hand, we have the rhetoric of them supporting the Paris Accord. On the other hand, we have them continuing to lend money to the very organisations which are responsible for a significant proportion of the increasing C2 admissions in this country. So you're sick and tired of the rhetoric reality gap which is occurs in this country. For example, Mr Andrews, the Premier of Victoria, tells us all that all the needs of the people in the blocks will be looked after, but because of outsourcing, they don't actually have the people on the ground to provide the services and spend days scrambling to do some basic tests as well as provide services, you begin to realise how big the problem is. And if we don't have people who are willing to raise alternatives 
I mean, I'm not stupid enough to think that anybody from public interest before corporate interest is going to be elected to Parliament. I'm not that stupid. But I do realise that we can influence the debate. We can influence the debate in the direction of a universal basic income. We can influence the debate in the direction of governments providing basic services. We can influence the debate in terms of discussing the, about the militarisation of police forces around this country, and we've seen that uh, thing happen. Look, uh, a little sparrow talked to me yesterday. I don't know if this is true or not. It sounds like stuff out of the Bat Cave, but I've been told there's a company in Victoria which is currently... Uh, uh, has made an agreement with Victoria Police to actually uh, mount semi-automatic weapons on a number of police cars, which you can press a button, bingo, up they come. Now, I think it's a load of garbage, but my source said it's real. But I have seen the militarisation of the Victoria Police. They now look like a paramilitary police. We've seen the change in the colour of their uniforms from blue to black. We've seen the purchasing of anti-riot equipment, we've seen the purchasing of tanks, we've seen the uh, semi-automatic weapons are now being used by uh, Victoria Police, we've seen the expansion of their special squads and the list goes on and on and on and on. So if you're concerned about these issues, and there are many issues to be concerned about. If you're concerned about the privatisation of old age, if you're concerned about the hoops that people needed to jump through and which way they will need to jump through when JobKeeper is removed and JobSeeker kind of fizzles away, well then, and you feel totally powerless because you can't demonstrate on the streets without being harassed and arrested and fined, well then, isn't it time to look at alternatives? So I am encouraging you to join public interest before corporate interest. It's very simple. You can go to the website, pipsy.net, download the application form, have a look at it. If you like it, join. If you don't like it, screw it up. Or just look at it on, on, on the website. You're not computer, you've got no access to computers? Well, that's no reason to not join. You can always leave a message on 0439 395 489. I'm happy to send you out a few application forms. Or you can always uh, send a letter or a note to Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Now, I don't want to harp on this, but uh, there are always options. It doesn't matter how difficult a situation seems, there are always options. And we need to explore these options if we want reform, let alone radical political change. Isn't it ridiculous? Here I am, an anarchist, you know, who thinks that we need to get rid of the state and replace it with a federation of community and workplace councils. Here I am as an anarchist who talks about sharing income, uh, breaking down hierarchy, and I'm now involved almost full-time in reformist struggles because there's nobody out there, very few people out there currently involved in pushing simple reforms, unlike 50 years ago when we had tens of thousands of people involved in the struggle, hundreds of thousands of people involved in the struggle for reform.
when we had political parties that were willing to promote a reform agenda, like the Whitlam Labor government, which introduced more reforms in its four, four and a half years in office than any government has ever introduced since Federation in this country. It's just extraordinary when you think about it. But we have reached that stage. And as I said at the beginning of the program, the anarchist struggle is a simple struggle. It's a struggle to create a society without rulers and you do that by taking away their oxygen and their oxygen is very simple it's inequalities in power and wealth and if you're involved in that struggle even a reformer's struggle you're an anarchist whether you know it or like it or not it's that simple so think about it think about joining public interest before corporate interests we need to make a splash we need to do it soon Otherwise, it'll be business as usual for eternity. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Now, Martin Luther King had a dream. Unfortunately, his dream hasn't become a reality. I don't dream. I'm not that stupid. But, not that I'm saying Martin Luther King was stupid, but that was just an analogy. You know, but um, but I don't know why. I'm puzzled and perplexed. I'm puzzled and perplexed every day I wake up. I'm puzzled and perplexed. Now, I live on the richest country in this world. I don't live in Bangladesh. I don't live in Mali or Madagascar. I live on stolen wealth. I live in the Australian continent. I live in a continent where we refuse to acknowledge traditional owners and pay compensation to the traditional owners. I live in one of the most resource-rich countries in the world. I live in a country of less than 25 million people. I live in a country that exports food to the rest of the world. I live in a country with a tattered social security system, a country that had the best social security system in the world before the deregulation, privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation revolution. I did live in a country where the police were not militarised. And the list goes on and on. So I ask myself every day, why do we have poverty in this country? Why are 30% of people living on Social Security benefits, which basically keeps body and soul together and nothing else? Why don't we have a universal basic income? Why do all the profits which should be derived from the mineral resources in this country, the coal, the uranium, the gas, the gold, the diamonds, the bauxite, um, the rare earths, the sand minerals, and the list goes on and on, why are all these profits repatriated to private owners and uh, privately owned corporations? I mean, we should have no major issues in this country. We should be able to make peace with this country's original owners. We should be able to share the resources of this country amongst each and every one of us so 700,000 children don't live in dire poverty. We should have public housing for everybody. 
we should be in a situation where we as a people can solve the problems that we face as a community. Not only the problems before COVID-19, but the problems created by COVID-19 and which will be recreated by various challenges we face in the future. That's why I'm puzzled and perplexed. And I know why. And it's because we're not willing to take the necessary steps to change the direction that Good Ship Australia is, is moving in. We're not willing to take those steps. We haven't been willing to take those steps for a very long time. We have been willing to sit on the sidelines and cheer our team. We've been spectators in the sport of public participation. Public participation takes many uh, avenues. It's not just about voting every three to four years. It's about taking part in movements and campaigns to change society in an era where this is becoming increasingly difficult, it's time we looked at alternatives. So I am encouraging you not to be depressed by the current situation. This is a period of profound opportunity. We either grab this opportunity or we continue in the direction we've been going. Thank you for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program will be podcast the next day or two. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. You can leave messages on 0439 395 489. You can write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com or info at pipsy.net. You can leave messages on my Facebook pages, Toscano for the Public, Joseph Toscano. You can access other Facebook pages through the Joseph Toscano uh, Facebook page. You can go to the Public Interest Before Corporate Interest website, that's pipsy, P-I-B-C-I dot net, and download the application form to join Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. You can go to the YouTube channel, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. As I said before, I can only do so much. Without your support, it'll continue to be business as usual. If you've had enough, now's the time to think about becoming involved. It doesn't matter where you live in Australia whether you live in the middle of the country or an island outside the, you know, the continent or on the continent itself, now is the time to grab that opportunity that COVID-19 has created for reform and radical social change. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Listen in next week to Anarchist World This Week. Minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. 
wash my hands. Oh, Lord, yeah. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.